puppy says it's recording. Hey, true crime family. I'm K-Mac. And I'm the answer. And this is Bad Human. Hey, true crime family. Welcome to Bad Human, a true crime podcast where we discuss those humans that reside at the bottom of the morality bell curve. We are back. I'm pretty sure the plague has gone through the uh, bad human house, but the answer is alive. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, I was running errands yesterday. I was like, God, please don't come home. And he's like on his deathbed. Because mm. I would be the immediate suspect. Yeah, you would be. Yeah. So I'm glad to see that you're feeling better. Oh, yeah, I bet you are. I would not do well in prison. <laughs> That's for sure. Um, anyways, apologies for the delay. Thank you to everyone um, who has commented, subscribed, followed on Spotify, LinkedIn, all of the things. Really appreciate it. I did think this was funny. Uh, yesterday, somebody shared with me on Facebook. Uh, our friend Michelle tagged me in a meme that says it is a red flag if you find it relaxing to listen to true crime. Mm-hmm. So we are all red flags together. Yes. I've also dated a few red flags. However, this, I'm happy to be called a red flag. Mm. You married a red flag. <laughs> Bright red. Like a matador. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just you ran through it like a bull. I did. I did. All right, let's get right to it. We've made you wait long enough. So this is a case that I had wanted to cover. It was also suggested by a member of the Bad Human family who lived in this area during the time of what we're going to discuss. And we're going to try to get better. I think typically it kind of goes without saying that there's going to be a lot of trigger warnings in the cases that we cover. But um, this case does reference crimes committed against children. Mm-hmm. So the details um, that we're going to provide are relevant to the case, necessary to explain the case. However, to be clear, our intent is to spread awareness and A, the hopes that this case will be solved one day. So this is an unsolved case. Most of you probably already knew that when you saw the name of the case that we're covering. Also want to bring awareness to the victims, the survivors, and what they have, but also continue to endure. So reading the uh, message that we received from someone who listens to Bad Human, who again was living in the Rochester area during this happening. It's really impactful and you don't think about sometimes the ripple effect on like society as these events are happening. So hearing and and not hearing, but reading the words about how this changed their childhood and impacted how they grew up and their parents, you know, you don't necessarily always think about the ripple effect. And this one uh, definitely impacted a lot of people, including Um, those um, unfortunate people who were direct uh, victims. So as we always strive to do, we will uh, treat the details with respect and those included in the story um, with dignity. But um, just want to, again, call that out. that This case does include crimes against children. You know, some people have a hard time with that. Totally get it. So just want to call that out now. Mm Between 1971 and 1973, in the city of Rochester, New York, three murders took place that to this day have yet to be solved. Carmen Cologne, Wanda Walkowitz, and Michelle Menza were uh, girls aged 10 and 11-ish whose last name began with the same letter as their first name, which this will come into play. The Alphabet Murders, also known as the Double Initial Murders, are an unsolved series of child murders, which occurred between 1971 and 1973 in the Rochester, New York area. 
Each victim had been um, sexually assaulted and then murdered by either manual or ligature strangulation before her body was discarded in or near a town or village near Rochester with uh, the city name beginning with the same letter as their first and last name. The case remains unsolved to this day, but our hope is that continuing to bring uh, this case into the limelight, maybe justice will eventually be served. Wow. This is going to be a rough one. Just to preface, I was talking to somebody last week who says they don't know how we can cover some of these cases, and it's not with a light heart or a lack of tears. At 4.20 p.m. on November 16, 1971, a 10-year-old Puerto Rican child named Carmen Colon disappeared while returning home from an errand around the Rochester, New York area. According to eyewitnesses, Carmen entered the pharmacy her mother had instructed her to visit on West Main Street. She was there to pick up a prescription for her 11-month-old sister um, who had been home that day, who had come home that day, excuse me, from the hospital who had an ear infection. Mm. Her mom had asked Carmen's grandfather to watch her as she walked down to the pharmacy. Carmen, uh, neighbors described Carmen as a hyper child who the fuck wasn't. <laughs> yeah. Uh, lived with her mom and her grandparents. She loved to dance um, around in dresses of her two favorite colors, yellow and blue. She loved to exercise. She was a smiley, happy little girl. She was described as having a lively smile, being a good girl, but was also a scrapper who was able to stand up for herself. Good for you, Carmen. Don't nice. let anybody fuck with you. I like it. She left the store upon learning the prescription she had been instructed to collect had not been processed, informing the store owner, Jack Corbin, I got to go. I got to go, which he would later in an interview say that he knew her well. And he recalled this day she seemed very distracted, acting a little off. She then was observed leaving the pharmacy and entering a car parked close to the pharmacy. Approximately 15 minutes. This is fucked up. Like approximately 50 minutes later, after Carmen exited the pharmacy around 510, Numerous motorists, I read some reports up to 100 people, driving along Interstate 490, which was approximately one to two miles away from the Churchville exit, which will come into play, observed Carmen naked from the waist down, running from a reversing vehicle believed to be a dark-colored Ford Pinto hatchback. She was frantically waving her arms and shouting in an attempt to flag down a passing vehicle. At least one of these witnesses observed Carmen being drugged back into the vehicle by the driver, who appeared to be a large man. She had her head down and appeared sullen and defeated. So let's just stop for a minute there. You're driving down the highway, and you see a young child who has nothing on from the waist down, yeah. running and screaming, yelling frantically as a vehicle is reversing and then drags the child back into the car. What would be the first thing you would do? Stop that vehicle. Or at least call the police, right? Yeah. Like, listen, if you're yeah. going 60 down the highway, which we'll get to later, they interviewed some people. Nobody stopped, by the way. Yeah. And also, nobody even called this in until, like, hours later. Uh, this, I, uh, hmm. It wouldn't be until almost three hours later, Carmen was reported missing to the Rochester police. This is around, like, 7.50-ish p.m. Questions that we talked about. Why hadn't anyone stopped? Why hadn't anyone tried to help? It turns out that actually a single report of this incident would even um, be called in until after they discover her remains. So 
apologies for <laughs> uh, that breaking that ahead of time, but they do find her. But nobody even called until after they found her remains. I get, like, listen, I, hmm. when reports finally did come in, they were all equipped. Uh, people had the same excuse when asked why they didn't stop. Uh, basically, they all said that they were going too fast, that by the time they exited and turned back around, they figured that it would be done at that point and be So the abduction would be over. Mm-hmm. Again, I'm trying to not be judgmental, never been in this situation, but like just call like 911, right? Yeah. Even just the non-emergency number to flag that maybe something seems odd. So nobody stopped. Nobody called the police. Three days later, two teenage boys from the quiet community of Churchville, New York. Uh, This town was tiny, population of like a thousand people. So, of course, they felt safe. The residents didn't lock their doors. Like children came and go as they pleased. Um, Not far from I-490, their attention would be caught by what they first thought was a half-clothed mannequin facing down in a roadside gully. However, once they got closer, they learned that this was not a mannequin, but was instead the body of a lifeless young girl. I had to go back for a second, too. Can you imagine just the sheer terror that this young child is feeling while she's running down the highway trying to get away? It's absolutely horrific to even think about. They, They found this lifeless body... They called law enforcement, um, and then they began the investigation. So this location was about 12 miles from where Carmen had last been seen alive. Uh, Her coat was discovered um, in a culvert down the street. I didn't know that culverts are actually like the big cross drains that go under streets, like Mm. the big cement. I didn't know what they were called. I thought they were just called big cement things. (laughs) That's a culvert. So you're welcome Mm. for your architecture and road education of the day. Um, the coat was found about 300 feet from her body. Her pants were discovered on November 30th, uh, close to the service road near uh, where numerous motorists had observed her trying to escape her abductor. We're going to get into just a little bit of detail. We have to talk about this again. We'll keep it very respectful. The autopsy, as, as, as we can, the autopsy revealed that in addition to having been sexually assaulted, She had suffered a fracture to her skull and one to her vertebrae before she had been manually strangled to death from the front. Oh, so that we can look right at her? That's fucking gross. Mm. Furthermore, her body had been extensively scratched by fingernails. Um, Both the murder of Carmen and the fact that no individual observed the child, um, like, helped when she was trying to flee from her abductor, obviously pissed the public off. Uh, Two New York newspapers, the Times Union, the Democrat, and Chronicle, initially offered a combined reward of $2,500 for information leading to the arrest and conviction of her murderer. Numerous local businesses and residents added private donations to the reward, gradually leading the sum to exceed $6,000. Although police interrogated several suspects in the months following her murder, all were cleared of involvement. And by December 21st, the number of investigators assigned to the case on a full-time basis was decreased to three. In early 1972, five large billboards were erected alongside uh, the major Rochester expressways. Um, each had a, a huge picture of Carmen and her like just adorable, innocent face and read the words, Do you know who killed Carmen Cologne? 
uh, free use of the billboards was given for one month by the Rochester Outdoor Advertising Community. How gracious. Um, Again, there was that $6,000 reward of information. Um, They did set up a telephone hotline uh, where people could call in. Um, What was interesting is this actually led to this hotline that was set up for Carmen um, led to the Crime Stoppers hotline. Oh, nice. So... Um, they did generate several new leads. However, none of them went anywhere. 17 months later, at approximately 5 p.m. on April 7th, 2nd, excuse me, 1973, 11-year-old Wanda Walkowitz disappeared from the east side of Rochester while returning home from an errand only a few blocks away from her home. Wanda and her sister Rita lived down the street from a rec center where her and her family were regulars to go and play. Wanda was described as a confident tomboy who lived with her mother and two sisters. Her father had died of a heart attack around her 11th birthday. She was said to be very protective of her friends and a strong little girl. Sounds very similar to Carmen. According to the owner of the Hillside Delicatessen, Wanda had been instructed to visit. She had purchased the groceries she'd been uh, directed to buy at around 5.15 p.m. before she'd begun walking alone down Conkey Avenue. An interview conducted by News 10 NBC with Bill uh, Van Orden, who was a clerk at the deli, verified this sighting, and Bill was found to be one of the last people to see Wanda alive. During the interview, he explained his interaction with Wanda, stating that she bought milk, bread, cigarettes, and diapers, totaling $8.52 to be exact. <laughs> that was interesting, $8. After her purchase was complete, she left the store. She did not enter or exit with anyone and made her way again down Conkey Avenue alone. Not long after she had left the deli, another witness watched as Wanda struggled to carry her groceries as she passed at what was then called school number eight. That's where she went to school as well. Joy reported her daughter missing around 8 p.m. that same night. Um, and also, here's the other thing I'm just trying to like process here. So she was at the store at five. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until eight. Like if your kid was gone for three hours... Like, what's going through your mind? You know, maybe she thought she stopped to play. This is a different time, though, too. So I'm sure some people are like, I can't believe you'd wait three hours. Maybe, yes, she should have called earlier. But also, like, this was a time where kids just ran around the neighborhood and did whatever. So it's really hard to say. Friends on the way there or on the way back and having fun. I do judge people who drove by and saw a pantsless child running down the highway and didn't at least call the police. Like, that... That I have a hard time. Again, even if you couldn't stop, I get it. You're going 60 miles per hour. Call the, the police and at least just notify them. That sounded a little judgy. I try not to be, but that one I'm struggling with yeah. just a little bit. Rightfully so. So Joy reported her daughter missing by 8 p.m. Uh, obviously, it had been like, you know, 17 months, like I said, since Carmen had gone missing, but it was still clearly fresh in the community. So law enforcement went into effect immediately. Police launched an intense search to locate her. Almost 50 detectives searched several square miles of the terrain around her home, the delicatessen, uh, the areas around um, a river where she was known to play. I think it's Genesee. Sorry if I'm saying that wrong. These searches failed to locate Wanda. Several neighborhood residents recalled observing her struggling, like I said earlier, to carry that bag of groceries. Three classmates specifically observed her bracing the bag against the fence so she could improve her grip as a brown vehicle drove past her. According to the witness, a large brown car trailed Wanda, driving slowly as if it was following her. 
People said they saw her talking to the person in the car, but didn't think much of it. As I said earlier, she was described as being street smart and people were shocked to think that anyone would have been able to talk her to getting into the vehicle. Within moments, the witnesses had gazed back to notice that both Wanda and the vehicle were gone. Wanda was fully clothed um, when police found her at 10.15 a.m. the following day. She had been discarded. I hate that word, actually. It just, it's so inhumane mm -hmm. to say that like someone had just been discarded at the base of the uh, hillside along an access road to State uh, Route 104 in Webster, approximately seven miles from Rochester. The position of her body indicate, oh, this, this case is a tough one. Like the position of her body indicated she had been thrown from a moving vehicle with her body rolling down the embankment. An autopsy revealed that she had been sexually assaulted and then strangled. I'm sorry, I should have given heads. Just assume this whole case is just, it's a rough one. Yeah. If some people really want to listen to this, I absolutely get it. It's a tough one to cover. An autopsy revealed that she had been, like I said, assaulted, then strangled from behind with a ligature, most likely a belt. Several defensive wounds indicated Wanda had fought her murder. In addition, her body had been redressed after death. The autopsy also revealed traces of um, discharge, semen, and pubic hair among the child's body. Furthermore, several strands of white cat fur were found upon her clothing, although Wanda's family did not own a pet cat with fur of this color. As had been the case with Carmen, investigators established the anonymous telephone hotline in addition to distributing flyers. A reward of $10,000 for information leading to the arrest and conviction of her murderer was also established. Uh, let's see. These police inquiries did produce an eyewitness um, and multiple eyewitnesses who called in. Uh, they basically all said the same thing. They'd observed her standing alongside the passenger door of a large vehicle, conversing with the driver. None of them were able to get a clear view of the driver of the vehicle. Although what's really just nuts too, she was just two tenths of a mile from home mm. when they saw her talking to this vehicle. Another individual contacted investigators following um, the addition of the hotline, the anonymous hotline, and informed investigators that she had seen, sorry, not he, she had observed a man forcing a red-haired girl matching Wanda's description into a light-colored Dodge Dart on Conkey Avenue between 5.30 and 6 on the evening of her disappearance. At this time, the Rochester police dismissed any suggestion of a link between the murders of Carmen and Wanda due to the manner of death um, and other case details. However, a sergeant who had been assigned to Carmen's murder, um, which was still obviously an open investigation, was reassigned to the task force created <clears throat> um, to investigate Wanda's murder. Sounds to me like they didn't want to alarm the public that yeah. they thought that there was a serial killer, but maybe behind the scenes they were starting to think, hmm. They're starting to piece it together. Although we'll get to, um, towards the end, we'll talk through the different victims and the crimes and how they were kind of alike or different and just some different hypotheses about what uh, people think. Um, at this point, the media started to put together the names starting with the same letter as the city that they were found. So you have, again, Carmen, Cologne, Wanda Walkowitz. Carmen was found in Churchville, and Wanda was found in Webster. A new set of billboards also went up. 
At this point also, and this is what really struck me reading the message from the uh, true crime family member who sent the request or the suggestion. Can you imagine the terror of being like a parent or a child, not knowing if you're safe, not knowing if you should allow your kids to still play outside? Are these connected? Is it a copycat? You know, many people stopped letting their kids walk to the corner store. I mean, essentially, Rochester lost its innocence at this point. Pretty much. Seven months later, so we've gone from 17 months now to seven. On the evening of November 26th, 1973, 11-year-old Michelle Menza, um, I think I'm saying that right. I even like watched so many videos. I always, you know me, I panic about saying names correctly. We did the Idaho murder update and I said Zana's name wrong. And I went through and corrected the, I, can't, I think it's yeah. so disrespectful to say names wrong. So I really hope I'm saying that right. Uh, Michelle was reported missing by her mother, Carolyn, after she failed to return home from school. This sucks. And by the way, fuck anybody who's a bully. So the 26th apparently had been a rough day already for Michelle. She was 11 years old. She was bullied and harassed at school. Again, if you're a bully, stop listening to this podcast because we don't want anything to do with you. And if you are being bullied, you're not the problem. They are. And reach out to us if you need support. Uh, She lived at home with her mother and her brother. Just days prior, Michelle's mother had misplaced her purse at a local shopping plaza located near the school. And on the 26th, around 3.20, Michelle's classmates watched as she crossed the street in the direction of the plaza to go to the shop to get her mom's purse. Approximately 10 minutes later, at 3.30, a witness observed Michelle sitting in the passenger seat of a beige or tan vehicle traveling at a high speed on Ackerman Street before turning onto Webster Avenue. According to the witness, the child had been crying. An hour later at 4.30, someone matching Michelle's description was seen at Carol's restaurant in Penfield with a dark-haired Caucasian man between the age of 25 and 35. He stood around 6 feet in height and weighed approximately 165 pounds. At the time of the sighting, he wore a dark-colored ski-type vest and jeans tucked into a pair of brown cowboy boots with buckles on either side. He had a short beard and long, dirty fingernails. Mm. An hour later, at 5.30, a motorist observed a man standing by a large beige or tan vehicle with a flat tire parked alongside Route 350 in the town of Walworth. Um, He was holding a girl strongly which he believed in hindsight to be Michelle by the wrist. So the motorist had stopped to offer assistance. The individual whose car it was had grabbed the girl he was with, pushed her behind his back and was gripping her wrist extremely tight. He also was standing in front of the license plate. So the motorist um, wasn't able to get the license plate. He said that as he stared at the man, he gave him a look that still terrifies him to this day. And so he drove away. Mm. I know this is another one. It's also hard to know because I think some people are afraid to call the police too because they don't want to like call and then something's not a problem. Yeah. So it's finding that healthy balance. I can see both sides of it. Two days later, at 10.30 a.m. on November 28th, the Walworth Volunteer Fire Chief made a horrifying discovery. Laying down in a ditch um, in Eddie Road. Excuse me. My nose is stuffy. Uh, Laying in a ditch in Macedon, New York, about 15 miles southeast of Rochester, was the lifeless body of a fully dressed young girl. Her autopsy revealed that in addition to having extensive blunt force trauma, 
she had been sexually assaulted, strangled to death from behind with a ligature, possibly a thin rope or belt. Her jacket was found a quarter mile down the road. Numerous strands of white cat fur were also discovered upon her clothing and leaf samples matching the foliage where her body was discovered um, looked like they had come from a very similar area that she had probably been most likely killed around that area. Maybe not there specifically, but um, somewhere nearby. Investigators were able to retrieve a partial palm print from her neck. Um, Forensic analysis would later try to determine if they could find a match. An analysis of her stomach revealed traces of hamburger and onions, which had been consumed approximately one hour before her murder, which supported then a report. You good? Okay. Thank you. Our dog is, feels like she needs to make an appearance. Are you good? Okay. Thank you for stopping by. Um, Like I said, there was contents in her stomach of a hamburger and onions, which did um, seem to align with the story they had seen her at Carol's restaurant, someone looking just like her. The identity of the man seen at Carol's restaurant also matched the identity of the man who would be seen an hour later on the road. Hmm. Of course, all three of these murders generated intense public outrage. Um, Following the murder of Michelle, investigators released a composite drawing of the individual Uh, They also, again, installed a hotline now that was devoted to all three cases with a reward. At the time, investigators had interrogated more than 800 potential suspects in relation to the murder. Um, However, none of them would actually be arrested. People also tried to put the clues together, including where the girls' names fell in the alphabet. So, of course, everyone is trying to crack the code. And yep. to this day, no one knows for sure if because the killer hasn't been caught. Yeah. But people, again, started to try to hypothesize and crack the, the code. Um, some people tried to see where the girls' names fell in the alphabet. So Carmen was the third letter. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll see. Carmen's not a letter in the alphabet. <laughs> C for Carmen was the third letter. M for Michelle was the 13th. Uh, Wanda was the 23rd. So then they basically like extrapolated that out and said, okay, then the next letter is going to be G and she'll be found in either gates or Greece, which are nearby cities. So imagine if you're a parent and you have a daughter who has a first and last name that starts with a G. And so people are hypothesizing this. They also tried to put the clues together based on a map of where the girls were found. Uh, The cities of Webster, Macedon and church um, churchville made a triangle they plugged gates or grease into that to see what shape it would make. So, again, people are trying to just see if there's any sort of, like, code to this. Correlation. So, similarities there. This is where things get interesting. So, there's theories. There's a lot of different theories. So, first, from a similarity perspective, all the girls were short. They also fell in the age of 10 to 11. They were all seen as, you know, socially challenged by their peers. They had a hard time making friends. Um, They were bullied, which, again, if you're a bully, screw you. Um, They came from families that were maybe lower income. Um, Most of them, I believe actually all of them, had a missing or recently deceased father. So there there was not an active father figure in their lives. They didn't have the best academic performance. Um, So police believe that and maybe also that there was the twin initials, right? So the Carmen Colon, who was found in Churchville, Wanda Walkowitz in Webster, and then Michelle Menz in Macedon. Um, these similarities might not seem super striking, but again, there were other things, for example, um, people started to think that maybe because of 
the girls, um, their upbringing, right, their family situation, they spent a lot of time with at the rec center with public areas like government um, assistance could be possibly an employee or social worker who would gain the trust of the girls. Again, other things to think about is all three disappeared early afternoons. They were performing some sort of errand. So Carmen was visiting the pharmacy for her sister's medicine. Wanda was at the grocery store. Michelle was at the shopping plaza to get her mom's purse. And during each of these events, there was a presence of an unknown individual. So, you know, again, talking about Carmen being seen on the highway, Wanda seen getting into the vehicle. Michelle was seen in a vehicle. And then on the side of the road was someone with a vehicle broken down. So it's really hard. So these things to me, okay, the MO to a point, I'm thinking, okay, this probably could be the same person, but there are also differences. So as you start to dig into the differences, Carmen's case could appear to be different than Wanda and Michelle's for a couple of reasons. So first, the method of murder and the happenings that following the death is where Carmen's case starts to get a little different than Wanda and Michelle's. So Wanda and Michelle were both strangled from behind with ligature marks of what it could have been like a belt or, you know, a rope or something. Whereas Carmen's cause of death was manual, manual, manual strangulation and from the front, Mm -hmm. which feels far more personal. Yeah. Um, After each of their deaths, Wanda and Michelle were both reclothed fully, whereas Carmen was only partially clothed. Yeah. Both Wanda and Michelle had white cat hair on their clothing, whereas I don't believe I read anywhere that Carmen had white cat hair uh, when she was found. Also, Wanda and Michelle's autopsy uh, autopsies had food found in their stomachs, um, showing that they were fed an hour before their attackers, whereas Carmen, there were no signs that she had been fed uh, before um, the crime took place. They think this could have shown a personal connection of not of wanting the child to suffer or also potentially maybe the killer, if you want to hypothesize the same person, learned that it was easier to gain the girl's trust by first taking them for a burger, right? Having a meal with them. Maybe he didn't know them and he knew Carmen, right? So we'll get into some suspects here as well. True crime writer Michael Benson, who grew up in Rochester, believed the alphabet killings were committed by multiple people. He says, I believe Wanda and Michelle were killed by the same person, but Carmen was someone different, he told A&E. Again, the subtle differences in the method of the killing, as well as one witness's report of seeing two adults um, in one of the cases. So I read somewhere that they said there were two people when they saw Carmen running from the vehicle. That has not been confirmed. I've read some said two, some said one. So that's not a fact I'm willing to like die on the sword. But I read that. But raise the possibility it could be a copycat killer. Robert Ressler, who was one of our trivia questions, who was credited with terming the word serial killer in the 70s, and known as one of the first uh, prolific uh, serial killer profiles, put together a profile of the alphabet murderer. He said he felt, again, that Carmen may not have been killed. So this is another person saying that Carmen may not have been killed by the same person as Wanda and Michelle for a couple of reasons. One, Carmen's killer showed a high level of anger. Uh, Carmen also didn't have food in her stomach. Um, Again, this could have been something that the murderer learned to do to keep the girls calm, though. Maybe it was the same person, maybe not. We already talked about again, and he agreed the fact that Carmen was partially dressed where the other two were fully dressed um, also spoke to the potential of two different people. Um, let's see. He also said that he thought that Carmen's killer was probably somebody she knew. 
They were between the age of 25 to 30 with a low to average intelligence and most likely abused alcohol and had an explosive temper. His profile for Wanda and Michelle's killer indicated that he had an average intelligence. They had been arrested for lesser sexual offenses, such as um, nuisance type of offenses like peeping Tom, obscene phone calls, which are still gross. Yeah. He also dismissed the idea the killer chose the victims based upon their initials. He felt the killer was not organized in abductions, murders, or the location where he dumped the bodies. So Rob is like, nope, not the same person, and homeboy is not that smart. Yeah. Other people disagreed. There have been some suspects that have come to light. Let's talk first about Miguel Colon. So in the case of Carmen, her stepfather, and he was also her uncle, <laughs> Miguel, I know I had to like do a family tree to get through that, but it's okay. clean. <laughs> is considered by investigators to be a strong suspect in her murder. Following the separation of her parents, he had formed a close relationship with her mother. Typically on occasions, Carmen walked to the pharmacy to collect the family prescriptions with, excuse me, um, she'd walked to the pharmacy, but her grandfather Felix had accompanied her. Although again, on the date of her disappearance, um, she was allowed to walk alone. Just weeks prior to her abduction, uh, Miguel is known to have purchased a car closely matching the vehicle seen by eyewitnesses that was reversing on Interstate 490. Investigators did conduct a search of the vehicle shortly after the murder, discovering the interior and exterior of the car had been extensively cleaned and the trunk had been washed with a strong cleaning solution. Hmm. Questioning the dealership, um, which had recently sold the vehicle to Miguel, revealed the trunk had not been washed with a detergent prior to the sale. Moreover, a doll belonging to Carmen was found in his car, although his relatives were quick to dismiss this and inform investigators she had frequently traveled in the vehicle, so she easily could have left a toy in there. Yeah. Makes sense. Furthermore, according to a friend, two days after the death of Carmen, Miguel had informed him of his intention to leave the country as he had done something wrong in Rochester. He then relocated from Rochester to Puerto Rico just four days after the murder of Carmen. Investigators did travel to San Juan to question him in March of 1972, although local newspapers uh, published articles detailing their intentions, so they gave him a heads up, so he fled. Maybe, like, you should keep that shit under wraps. Yeah. Basically, it's like a huge billboard that says, get the fuck out of town, Miguel, they're coming. Miguel did, however, though, surrender to authorities on March 26th, and agreed to be extradited back to Rochester to face questioning. He was unable to provide a credible alibi for his movements on the date of uh, Carmen's murder, um, and there was no individual that could corroborate his claims um, when he did try to give an alibi. Uh, there was strong circumstantial evidence. Uh, however, there was no physical evidence um, located at the crime scene um, or in his vehicle. He took a lie detector and passed, which you all know anything yeah. about lie detectors, whatever, was released. This is sad. So in 1991, at the age of 44, following an incident of domestic violence in which he shot and wounded both his wife and brother, he committed suicide. Wow. Carmen's stepsister um, and Miguel's daughter believes that he was targeted because he was illegally receiving government support and panicked. However, authorities said he was interviewed because he could not be found anywhere during the early hours of her search. So his family, and they've been very adamant about his innocence, their theory is that he said he'd done something bad in Rochester and he fled is because he had been illegally getting money from the government. Mm. And that's why he was running. It had nothing to do with Carmen's murder. murder. 
Okay, okay. One individual considered a strong suspect was a 25-year-old Rochester firefighter named Dennis Termini. He was a prolific serial offender known as the garage rapist who is known to have committed a minimum of 14 rapes of teenage girls and young women between young women between 1971 and 73. This guy's a piece of garbage. He's also known to have owned a beige vehicle similar in description to the vehicle observed by several eyewitnesses in the abductions. Moreover, he lived at an address on Box Street. I'm, I'm saying these streets like I know the map of Rochester, yeah. but for those of you who live around like Abbey, some people we know She's who listen to the, the area, this I'm sure is making sense to you. Um, an address close to where Michelle was last seen alive. Five weeks after the death um, of the, the final victim, Michelle, on January 1st, 1974, Dennis attempted to abduct a teenage girl at gunpoint. Rochester police said that on that morning, an 18-year-old girl had been walking down the street and was being followed by a car. The man got out of the car and forced her into the vehicle and pulled into a nearby garage. The cops came to the house and they found the man attempting to rape the woman. He heard the officer and ran. The officer followed. Uh, the offender ran to a home, got into a parked car. The cops saw him in the car and approached. However, there was a gunshot and he had taken his own life. There was a forensic exam of Dennis's vehicle, which did reveal traces of white cat fur on the upholstery. Okay. In January 2007, so remember, DNA has progressed too, right, oh, from yeah. when this happened. So Way in January 2007, know. his body was exhumed to obtain DNA samples for comparison um, with the semen samples that were recovered on Wanda's body. The result three weeks later, as you all know, <laughs> there's been no rest, uh, confirmed that he was not responsible for her murder. I know. I thought for sure that this one had legs, too. Mm -hmm. This is also just a totally random thing that I learned that I didn't realize that the law, the law, <laughs> law is not required to notify you if they're going to exhume a body for, like, case DNA testing. Oh, okay. So they can go dig up someone's remains. Now, granted, if it's going to solve a case, I would be like, fine, dig away anyways. Yeah. Also be extremely perturbed if someone in our family was... Having their bones dug up. Surprise. See if they're a killer. However, the police did give his family a heads up, which oh. was nice. Oh, yeah. Very nice. This one. So this is a case we're going to cover. This case has prolifically changed my life. There's a few cases that we cover. I remember who we were talking to. And they were like, what cases have like really changed your view on life? Kelsey Smith. Every time I'm in a Target parking lot now. I look around, race to my vehicle, immediately lock the door. <laughs> like that case really struck me. I mean, there's a few that have like really rattled my bones, but Kenneth Bianchi, who at the time worked at an ice cream vendor, worked at an ice cream shop in Rochester and also worked at two locations close to the two murders. Now he's, his name probably sounds familiar to you. Maybe not you, but Kenneth Bianchi was part of the Hillside Strangler murders, which we'll cover. And this guy is a sick fuck, both him and his cousin. He was born to an alcoholic prostitute who put him up for adoption in the Rochester area. He was adopted at age three and doctors flagged at an early age of him being troubled. He went to high school in Gates and wanted to be a cop. When he was 20, he enrolled in the public safety program. It was during this time um, that the first murder happened. 
So then he dropped out after a semester, was rejected by Monroe County Sheriff's Office, and was later fired from a security job after being accused of stealing. Trivia question. We covered this. Who also wanted to be a cop but was not allowed to be, but he was friends with cops? He's a serial killer. Is it Ed? Yes. Ed Gein. No, Ed Kemper. Oh, Kemper. Yeah, the first, you should have stopped at the first name. You should have just started with that. <laughs> yes, but also partially due to his height. He was like 6'9". Like the yeah. guy was a fucking beast. Mindhunters, right? He was on Mindhunter. Yeah, That's he liked to wear women's shoes. Oh my God, I've never loved you more. Mm. <laughs> uh, Bianchi relocated to Roch from, excuse me, Rochester to Los Angeles uh, in January 1976. Again, we'll cover this, but him and his uh, shit stain of a cousin, Angelo uh, Bono Jr., would, uh, between 1977 and 78, uh, commit the Hillside Strangler murders of 10 women between the ages of 12 and 28. Oh, geez. Yeah. Well, those two are absolutely disgusting. We'll cover that. However, uh, Bianchi was never charged um, with the Alphabet murders, and he has denied emphatically that he um, had nothing to do with that. He repeatedly attempted to have investigators clear him of suspicion, um, however, while residing in Rochester, he was known to, again, have driven a similar vehicle. We talked about he worked or was near most of the murder sites. Uh, when he was in prison, he wrote his girlfriend saying that he was a... Su- oh, <laughs> like, the fact that these people have girlfriends throws me. Although we do watch Love during lockup. Yeah. They- I don't know. who the, Whoever Women the fuck is dating sometimes. Ken Bianchi, and after you, like, learn the things he did, mm-hmm. there's, like, there's one murderer that just still is just ingrained in my brain they killed somebody and they literally tied her up put her next to an an oven they undid the gas and then they took like a tube and put the tube into the gas and then put it up into her like by her mouth and then put a plastic bag over her head Hmm. and left her there it's it's really terrifying to think that people's brains could even work that way um Basically, they also um, had found an impression near the body of Michelle. However, they tested it didn't match. Also, I'm not totally convinced that footprint impression, like some of those, some of that science, I don't know. Some people call it kind of like garbage science. I don't know. But um, anyways, they did, couldn't find anything that had legs to tie him to it. But again, don't worry because he... He would have his own comeuppance coming. Reign of terror. In April 2011, 77-year-old Joseph Nasso was arrested in Reno, Nevada for the murders of four women in California, committed between 1977 and 1994, all of whom um, are believed to have been prostitutes, um, and each who had a surname that began with the same letter as that of her first name. So, first name, last name, matching. Um, He was a new... And to be clear, I'm not trying to be facetious by saying their profession, it's Unfortunately, a lot of people in high risk professions like that are targeted because they just believe that the police aren't going to put in the effort. Society, they maybe they're easier to go under the radar. People yeah. don't know they're missing. So I just want to be clear this isn't shaming how people are choosing to live their life. Unless you're Kenneth Bianchi or you kill children, then I'm shaming the fuck out of you. Mm-hmm. Um, initially described as a person of interest, DNA testing confirmed that it was not a match. Um, for the same DNA they tested, they found on Wanda. He, however, was brought to trial on June 18, 2013, charged with the murder of those four women, uh, and he was convicted and sentenced to death. Yeah. So, Fry. Well, he was 77, so. Joseph Fry. FBI profiler Roy, Roy Hazel, I'm having a hard time talking today. FBI profiler 
Roy Hazelwood, stated that he thinks the letters were coincidence and they were two different people. Um, he thought the first murder took place out of anger. The second were two more functional murders. So right. you have multiple people who are like FBI profiles, like, you know, our boy Rob and now Roy, who firmly believe it was two different people, that Carmen was a personal, more isolated, targeted, knew the person. And then you have Wanda and Michelle, who were another killer, the same, um, but different MO, different type of murder. I don't know. I think I have an idea, but I want to get your mm. thoughts and then I want to hear what everyone else thinks. So again, make sure you go to our Instagram page at bad human pod. Would love to hear people's theories on what they think happened. And also there's so much information and some of it contradicts each other. So if you are somebody who knows this case or you were living in that area, you want to share, you want to correct, you want to clarify, please do so. Like it's very important, as you know, from the Idaho murder case, for us to have information correct. So the minute that someone had sent us a note and they're like, hey, actually they confirmed that that roommate was on the second floor, not the first, wanted to get that out. So we are always open to feedback and making sure that what we're sharing is accurate. In 1995, the mother of Carmen made her first public uh, statement regarding the murder of her daughter. In this interview um, with the uh, Democrat and Chronicle, she stated that although she lived her entire life in poverty, she could have only one thing but for her death it would not be wealth but knowing who murdered her daughter adding if i could die knowing who killed my carmencita i could die more peacefully than i have lived it is the only thing i have wanted in my life to know that this person had to pay for the terrible things that he did to my little girl if the person who did this could have any compassion he would see the pain and the suffering the families of these little girls have gone through all this time i mean i think that pretty much says it right there I mean, you have to be a heartless piece of shit to not only commit this crime, but then to watch just the repercussions of what you've done just continue to haunt people and and literally ruin lives. Uh, The Democrat Chronicle newspaper published a series of articles focusing on the police investigation, appealing to the public for information, um, trying to close the case. However, to this day, um, they remain committed to solving the case per the Rochester police, but... Um, nothing has officially been, no one's officially been arrested where we are today. So we have DNA fingerprinting. Um, we have, sorry, DNA, we have fingerprinting, um, the advancements that have been made since these crimes occurred, right? Are tremendous. As we can see, there's been a few people they've already tested against, but have yet to make a match in 2022, a TikToker posted that her grandfather might have been the alphabet killer. Uh, her name, Alexis Ortiz said from the age that she was old enough to understand, she knew uh, the family rumor around her grandfather and she thinks it holds water. Uh, she was a 20, she's a 21 year old Rochester resident and believes that her grandfather may have been the alphabet killer. She said that he may have a Brown car, like the one killer who was suspected to have. He owned a grocery store where cats prowled the basement for rats and white cat hair was found on the clothes of all three victims. She said her grandfather did speak to Wanda on the day of her disappearance and then was the first to offer a reward when she went missing, Mm. which that's, you know, they do say that the killers tend to want to be like a part of the investigation. Like they, that's why we've seen that before where they've done that. Yeah. That's why I think it's interesting when police hold press conferences, they, they have people who are literally just scouring the crowd because typically they want to come back and see their work or or insert themselves to be a part of it. However, even on his deathbed, uh, her grandfather denied any involvement in the murders. 
She said one of my family members asked him if he had any involvement with the alphabet murders, and he said no. You would think someone would, you know, confess when they're about to pass, but he was holding strong. Mm. So that's where we are today. First, just want to, again, just talk about the three girls. Um, you know, so Wanda, Michelle, and Carmen. No child deserves to have anything even minusculely. No child deserves that. No. Period their families as well to have to live through that and how terrifying to grow up at that time. Imagine being a parent trying to protect your children or a child trying to be safe. It has to be extremely traumatic. Oh, very. Uh, we will post the phone number though. If you do know anything, listen, while there are things have happened like this case, yes, it's old, but we've covered like the Fort Worth trio where there's been some breaks in that case. I mean, there's cold cases that are years and years, decades old. Um, so no, no information is too small or unimportant. So we will make sure to include um, the phone number to call. And that's it. That's the case. That was I, a rough one. I, I, I understand if people I, had a hard time with that, don't want to listen or upset that we covered it. But again, A, it was also it was a suggestion. Also, it's a cold case. And the more that we can keep these cases in the limelight, there's always still then a chance of getting justice for the victims and their families and loved ones. Uh, I think there is two. I think there was a, one, the initial murder, and then copycatting it because there's two different vehicles and two different situations it seems like i just that's my gut theory i will share my theory on our instagram page because right. <laughs> i also don't want to stifle what others may think so again thank you to um to everyone who listened uh please again go to our instagram page a bad human pod we'd love to hear your theories what you think and again share more information if we got something wrong if we got it right if you have additional context um, the most important thing is that we make sure we get it correct and credible so that we can um, hopefully still try to bring justice for these families and their victims. Absolutely. As always, please remember to treat yourselves and each other with love, kindness, and respect. I'm K-Mac. And I'm The Answer. Good, Good night. night.